What is going on, Clipper Nation? It is me, Solo Chuck Mockler, for the final episode. Wednesday's episode will have Liam the Opinion Updeck returning. Thankfully, you'll be safe from me. But until then, welcome to Twitter Tuesdays. If you're new to Locked On Clippers, first of all, welcome. Thanks for hanging out. Every Tuesday, uh, we take just questions from Clipper Nation on Twitter. If you have a question, tweet at us any day of the week. Um, at Locked On Clips, at Will Updike, at Charles Mockler. We are ready to answer them. We'll do our best to answer them. We got a bunch of fantastic submissions today. If we didn't choose your question, uh, it is not a personal shot at you in any way. We get a bunch of them. We just kind of go with, you know, some people ask the same questions. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, especially we're going to talk about uh, Kawhi's load management. We're going to discuss maybe some Shamit breakout timing. Hopefully that happens soon. And then, of course, it feels like this has been on everyone's mind lately, but we're going to get into some Trez talk, which might anger some people. I don't know about that, but there's just some interesting things that people have been kicking around uh, just a mere seven games through the season. So let's get into that right now. The first Twitter Tuesday question we are addressing is from Joe G. He asks, what team will we enable KLM, Kawhi's load management, against this week? Milwaukee or Portland? Uh, that game, the Milwaukee game, is on Wednesday. We are going to have a preview of that game for you guys on uh, Wednesday's episode. But I think that's the one that he sits, if I had to guess. Based on, you know, Portland, there's tiebreaker scenarios. It's a conference game. It seems, quote-unquote, more important. I know that game is important, every win is a win, but that seems to be the most logical sit date for me. Um, I would, I mean, I'd love to see him play against Giannis, that would be great, but I'd love to see him demolish the Trailblazers more, because I'm not sure who can guard him on that team. I think it's going to be, I think it'll be Milwaukee. I don't think they want to put his body through guarding Giannis maybe this early in the season, um, honestly, though, with how things have been going, I might also not be surprised if he just doesn't rest at all. I firmly don't think he'll play very many back-to-backs this year. I think if we get two Western Conference back-to-backs at home, specifically, he's probably more inclined to play those games would be my best guess. But right now, I would probably guess that game against Milwaukee is at 7 o'clock on Wednesday if you do. Um, but obviously, we will update that. More as we go. We got a question from Clipcast. They want to know if this is the Ty Lu Revenge Tour this year. Fantastic question. I think it might be. Ty Lu had this great quote where he once said he wished his players remembered handshakes as well as defensive schemes. Obviously, that was from his time with the Cavs, where I believe they set a league record with uh, most handshakes by each player. It seems like Ty, I don't know if Ty Lue's thinking of it as a revenge year. I think it would be nice for him, probably, he thinks, you know, to get a ring sans LeBron and possibly, you know, maybe taking out LeBron on the way in that process. But I'm not quite, I don't know. I think this Clippers team is perfect for him. Uh, he want, He's a defensive-minded coach. He, you know, the already said quote about wanting people to remember defensive schemes that kind of thing happens on the clips. I think Lou is in a perfect situation. I've been really excited with how him and Rex seem to communicate well. We see him at the games and stuff, and it's a seamless fit, which is 
think probably good for, um, you know, it's good in every sense of the word. I think when you bring on new coaches, it sometimes feels like it gets swept under the rug in terms of quote unquote, how easy it is to integrate them. And a guy like Ty Lu, who's seen the highest of highs as a coach and as a player might be kind of weird for him. Um, you know, he got off of the Lakers job and was disrespected with that number and, you know, came to the other side of the hallway, which is good. I think he might be looking for a little bit of vindication. I'm excited to see it. So far, the defense has proven to be, you know, we, people have a lot of knocks on it, but, you know, held two teams under 100 in a row, which is great. I'm excited for the rest of Tyloo's season, especially. I'm excited to see what him and Rex can cook up. I really like this free safety thing we have going on with Kawhi and a couple of the other players. That's really cool to see. And I don't know. It feels like the perfect team for him. It's nice that he gets this kind of pre-gel period before Paul George comes back to understand how, you know, Doc wants the defense to run and how Ty can take his principles and put in the defense with Rex's principles. So there's a lot of moving parts there, but this kind of pre-Paul George time feels great for him to kind of measure everything and make sure that, you know, it kind of all is working. Um, I think he's probably fueled somewhat by that Lakers offer. Who knows? But we'll see. Uh, here's to Ty Lue getting that ring. Von Solo, a.k.a. at Mechanics, M-E-C-H-A-N-I-X-X. Interesting. Has a good question. Uh, based on the game so far, are there any glaring issues that don't seem like they'd be solved or at least improved by Kawhi? I mean, outside shooting, that that seems to be the biggest one right now that I would like to see solved. But as far as things that can't be solved by Paul George, most of the bugaboos people have with this team are, you know, distribution, uh, creating our own shots. We've seen Kawhi and Lou on the court for one of them on the court for pretty much every minute the Clippers have played, saved for, I believe that Phoenix game when there was that weird, we thought the game was lost, but then you brought uh, Kawhi back in type thing. No, I, I mean, the distribution, maybe not entirely solved by Paul George, but it's definitely improved. Um, the outside shooting at this point, in the last three games, I'll get into this in the next segment, but in the last three games, we are the worst three-point shooting team. I think it's all positive. I don't, it, it, it makes the bench better. A lot of questions about Patterson, what he's going to end up when Paul George comes back. But no, I think he's, there's not, this is a great question because there's not really any glaring issues that need to be solved in all capital letters right now. Because we still kind of have to see what the team looks like with him, but it seems like it's going to be all good. It's weird to say that we're going to be better, but there aren't glaring issues that need to be fixed. But I'm kind of fixating on that word glaring um, in terms of Paul George's specific skill set. I don't think he, you know, we're 5-2. and two, We are shooting the ball pretty rough over this last stretch. But there's nothing that truly feels like, oh, Paul George comes back and this isn't fixed or this doesn't get better. I think he helps the distribution. He helps the bench unit. He helps, I mean, theoretically, he helps the defense. He's been playing fantastic, so there might be some hiccups there. But there's nothing that he doesn't help, but at the same time, 
there's nothing particularly totally fixed by him coming back. It feels like I'm disrespecting Paul George. I'm not trying to in any way. He makes our team way better when he comes back. There's just not that Paul George-shaped hole in the team right now. Um, there's just only those things that are going to get exponentially better. Not that they're bad. This goes great uh, into at Step Back Tree's question. Is this start to the season better, the same, or worse than I envisioned without Paul George? My counterpoint, when the opinion update is not here, so this will just go to me. We can address this maybe next week's Twitter Tuesday together. But I'm honestly going to say a little better. I thought there was going to be more of a jail period, more of a feeling it out type situation. I talked about on yesterday's pod how nice it's been to see Doc not rely so heavily uh, on the Lou and Trez pick and roll as I initially thought he was going to. But, and that's been great. So seeing Doc's flexibility has been cool. We didn't just go back to what worked for us last year. Not that, that would have been the worst you know, strategy. Uh, if things were going great, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. I think better. I wanted us to have anything above a 500 record over this first 10 games. I considered a, a success. Um, we're five and two, so at worst we're going to be five and five by the time Paul George gets back. I'd like to see people who think that it's going worse than they envisioned. I can kind of see the arguments, um, but in terms of real tangible things, there's not much going bad. Uh, the Suns game, yeah, that sucked, but you know we got surprised. The Suns have been surprising a couple people. Um, and you know, it, it better. <laughs> I wish I had a deeper answer for this, but better. I've been pleasantly surprised how well this team has integrated everything. Um, you know, not quite the 7 0 start that I'm sure some people want, but 5 and 2, there's worse positions to be in, especially with that kind of surprise uh, loss to the Suns. I, I would say better. Um, that's a fantastic question to kind of lead this segment on. Let me know uh, if you guys think. The season is better, the same, or worse than we envision without Paul George. Shout out to Step Back Tree for that great question. You should check him out on Twitter, too. He's a good basketball uh, talk to have. But, yeah, let me know what you think about the season. Personally, I think we're doing pretty damn okay right now. There's not too many better records than 5-2, and two, but uh, I'm sure there are differing theories on that. Coming up after this, we're going to be talking questions about Shamit's uh, slump, as well as Zubat's defensive prowess but first i want to give a shout out to manscaped they are number one in men's below the belt grooming get 20 percent off and free shipping with the promo code locked on at manscaped.com that is locked on all cap letters one word so this twitter tuesday train keeps rolling hang it out uk clipper wants to know shout out to those fans of ours across the pond is zoo better on defense than he gets credit for. Yes, would be the short answer to this. Uh, at Fly By Night, Justin Russo has some fantastic stats on this. I tweeted this out about these stats, actually. Zubats is that player who, unless you're really kind of a stat-heady person who also follows the team quasi-religiously, he's always going to be seen as a, oh, he's okay. You know, he's always going to be one of those guys who maybe doesn't pass someone's eye test or it just doesn't feel right. One of those odd 
kind of, you know, feel it, eye test things people have about certain players. And I kind of was like that last year. I, you know, I thought the potential was there. But these first seven games, I think he's definitely shown what he can do. Uh, in 96 point, in 116 minutes, he's at a 96.3 defensive rating. The Beverly Leonard Zubats trio has a 92 defensive rating in 77 minutes. Um, I don't know. It's pretty incredible. Per stats.nba, Zubats, when actively defending a field goal within 10 feet, it's holding guys to 38%. I just, you know, yes, he is better on defense than he gets credit for. He's in this weird minutes cap. Um, Nigel Roxbury asked a great question on Zubats not playing more than 16 minutes a game. He pointed to a 71% shooting and thinks there's a path to him playing 22 to 24 minutes. I totally agree. I think it's very weird that there's this, I don't know if cap is the right word because cap makes it seem like there's a definitive amount, but I think Doc is really just riding the hot hand between him and Trez, between Zoo and Trez when things are going well. And that right now, because of how well Trez is playing, is hurting Zoo's playing time. I don't think he cares about it uh, because we're winning, but it is odd. It, it felt like he was on the cusp of, I mean, you can, you can call me, I guess, kind of insane for thinking this, but the game on Monday could have been, or excuse me, on Sunday, you know, that could have been one of his best games regular season, going against Gobert. He was putting up monstrous numbers in the first quarter. He kept us in the game. That could have been maybe his best regular season game. But again, when we saw him, you know, just a little over 16, it might have been even a tiny bit less. But I hope it's there. Um, he's been playing great defensively. I think Doc just likes him in certain spots, which is interesting. Um, I hope it continues to happen because he's been surprising a bunch of people. That offseason was great. I got to talk to him a little bit about it after the game on Sunday. But, no, he's a uh, shout-out to UK Clipper and Nigel Roxbury for these. A couple other people asked some Zubats questions. There's something that's been floating around Clipper Nation on Twitter which I just, I want someone to explain this to me or why they think it should happen. There's this desire to have Zoo and Trez be on the floor together. And I, and a lot of people who've said it are like, oh, I know the spacing would be bad, you know, or the spacing might not be good. The spacing would be horrendous. It would be terrible with Zoo and Trez out there. I mean, you could put Lou, Sham, and I guess, you know, I don't know, another guard out there, but then the defense isn't really that good. Someone who can better present it other than it would be cool to see or I heard Zoo was practicing threes, please enlighten me to why having Trez and Zoo would be a positive thing for the team for any amount of stretch of time. Um, I know there's, a, there's been this lore about you know Zoo's three-point shooting, expanding his range and all this stuff, and that checklist for the year on his Instagram about wanting to work on his shooting. And these things are definitely getting worked on, but they're not game ready. Like in no world are there sets being called for Trez to hit a three or Zoo to hit a three in any tangible amount of time. Um, sorry to be kind of quasi negative out of nowhere on this, but it, it's an idea that I just truly do not understand and would love it if someone could enlighten me with some hard stats on it. Obviously there's not a lot of minutes data with them being together on the court, but 
It's an interesting want. Just because two things are happening well separately does not mean they will work together. I think this would be a, a pretty classic example of that. At Clip City and Chenny John, shout out Chenny John, want to know when Shamit is going to break out of his shooting slump. If you're new to the pod or the team and not familiar with what's happening, Landry Shamit is currently shooting a 31% clip from behind the arc at six attempts a game. So the attempts are there. Um, but it's just not followed right now. I don't think it's that big a deal. I mentioned this earlier in the episode. Uh, we're the worst three-point shooting team in the league over the last three games. But a f- great stat from Justin Russo to maybe help people's brains. Um, in 2014-2015, J.J. Redick in his first seven games was attempting 5.6 three-point attempts per game and shooting a disastrous 28.2%. Landry, like I said, he's at uh, six three-points a game shooting 31%. This is what happens with shooters. It's annoying to watch because really, you know, the only way that a shooter plays bad is by missing shots. So it really, I think, seems like their play is exacerbated in terms of how poorly it is. And it hasn't been good. His shooting has not been good. I'm not arguing that at all. But... I think it's going to be fine when Paul George comes back. I think Sham moves down to the bench to unleash what could be an even more absurd bench than the NBA has seen in a couple of years, maybe. You got Lou, Sham, you know, Magruder, Jamichael, or Moe, and Trez, and then Patterson tossed in there, too. That's going to be amazing. Um, I think the shooting is going to be all right. He might be a guy who's maybe more comfortable even coming off the bench in these situations, kind of a Lou Will type thing of letting the game, you know, you kind of soak the game up and let it come to you in terms of pain and everything like that. But I think it's going to break out soon. I hope it breaks out soon. We might see it this week against either the Bucks or the Blazers. The team as a whole is not shooting well. Outside of Jermichael, it's just been really, really disappointing to start the year. But it's just rest. Um, I'm hoping... I will note on this, I know I've kind of harped on this a couple of times on the pod, I want to see that bandage go off of his left wrist, um, off of Shamit's left wrist. It's evidently not a luck thing, because the buckets aren't going in while he's wearing it. It would just make me feel a little bit better, you know, to get that thing uh, completely taken off of his wrist. Um, at Latina C, is repping for all the members of the man cave out there, she is wondering... If Terrence Mann is going to get playing time other than garbage time minutes, he did clock a cool, I believe it was 15 seconds, against the Jazz on Sunday. I really don't know. I see some comparisons between Mann and Shea in terms of playing time of, oh, you know, Doc you know, had to wait to play Shea, and we all saw how that turned out. It, di- it did only take an Avery Bradley ankle injury for Shea getting into the starting lineup. That is something I think is kind of important to remember. But the, the reality around the two players when they are getting their first significant NBA minutes needs to also be considered. Shea was getting time on a team that the media thought was going to be bad, and for all intents and purposes, did overachieve last year. 48 wins was amazing. This team absolutely deserved the 48 wins. They won the damn game, so they got them. But, you know, there was a little bit of overachievement. We're not in that luxury this year. We're not in the luxury to give man kind of these figure-it-out minutes, it it doesn't feel like it would make sense from the front office perspective. Uh, 
He's still developing on the defensive end of the ball. He's not really a threat from shooting. The distribution is great. It's obviously there is something there that we need to work on and unleash because it will be fantastic when he gets it all shored up. But for now, I just don't see it happening. Maybe when Paul George gets back, because we'll just have, you know, that deeper rotation, maybe that 12, you know, 11 guy rotation we have, and he can sneak some minutes in. But from what we've seen, it does not seem like that. I love his distribution. I love his vision. He's got some things he's got to work on. Um, for the people saying we need to develop talent for the future, I don't, you can't, you're putting so many carts in front of so many horses, it feels like. Let's focus on this year right now. The goal in the next two years is to win a championship. And I don't think this first year it happens by giving man a bunch of minutes that aren't in quote unquote garbage time. We could look at the garbage time minutes positively and just root for the Clippers to destroy teams so much that we get some man minutes. I might actually start doing that. Uh, let me know on what you guys think about the shooting slumps and about Zoo's defense. Coming up after this, you guessed it, just some more Clipper Nation questions. So we had uh, a question from Lou Will's favorite blogger, Ryan Snelling, usually posting divisional things, but uh, today he has a fantastic question. Shout out to Ryan. Great follow on Twitter as well. This is a spicy times. What's the minimum you would trade Trez for? Do you see him staying past the deadline, even with how much we expect him to get paid this summer? Oh man, Ryan, why did you have to why did you have to ask this? It's a very good question. After what he did against the Jazz on Sunday, um eight offensive boards throughout out rebounding, you know, he helped us on the boards. Sorry, we had 18 total offensive boards. Trez, I think, had a third of them. I don't know what I would trade Trez for. He's done... He's picked up exactly where he's left off from last year, if not better. In the fourth quarter, he's averaging eight points on 74% shooting and three boards. That is what you need from an undersized guy coming off the bench who plays center. Um... I don't know what I'd trade him for. He's integral to this team right now. He's part of the system. Doc kind of spells him and do when one's playing well. So far, it's mostly been Trez playing well. I just don't know. I'm Ryan, I wish I had a better question for you or answer for you. Sorry. And as far as the deadline goes, I don't know what to expect from this front office. <laughs> like if things are going well, I don't see him getting moved. And by going well, I mean kind of a top three, you know, seed with a vibe of like this is going to be held on to there's only 20 so 20 or so games after the trade deadline it's not right halfway through the season which i think throw people off um and what do we move him for because i it's it's only a rental what team other than a contender is content having him for less than a year for him just to leave you know, I don't see him being, he's such an integral piece to our team. It's reminiscent, I think Trez could help a lot of teams, obviously. His hustle, his efficiency is something that is borderline unmatched. But we get the most out of him with our system. He's great in the pick and roll. He's the best with Lou in the pick and roll. Um, now that Kawhi is unlocking this passing prowess, I don't know, man. I don't know what we trade for him that doesn't feel like a lateral move or cost this team even more draft capital stuff. Because for with his contract situation, he's not. it's not just Trez we'd have to trade. It has to be something else. 
Um, it has to be a piece that's maybe, you know, more longer term than 25 games. Um, I'm very nervous with how much money he's going to get paid. The free agency class is garbage. Um, not garbage. That's disrespectful to people who've worked very hard. It is a shallow free agent pool, I should say. Um, but I don't know, man. This I was thinking about this question a lot. Thank you for this question, Ryan. I don't know what we move. I think people people are weirdly itching for trades, it feels like. Um, I think he's going to stay past this deadline. I think the Clippers pay him. I am also saying this as of 7.25 p.m. on November 4th, 2019. So that could change. But right now, I'm keeping him. I mean, we just have to, it feels like, unless we're getting Drew Holiday or Beal, those are kind of the two hot names. I, you know, I just I don't see him being moved. I just really don't. I'm probably gonna wake up and regret everything I've said on this one answer. But right now, that's how I feel. I don't want him to move. Um, final question of the episode from Max Power. Wow, another UK Clipper fan. This is kind of a fun one. And I also want to read it in an English accent, but I won't. Um, literally, how is Clipper Nation not exploding with excitement that at some point PG will be on this team? Instead, whining about Patrick Patterson starting and Avica Zubats being average. Crying, laughing, emoji face. Couldn't agree with you more, Max. <laughs> um, I've said it before on this pod. Will and I have talked about it. Right now, this fan base is a broke person who like just got their foot ran over by a cab. And we got the big payday from it, from the city. We got our big, giant lump sum. And we just don't know how to think or act. And that's not a bad thing, but this is the first time, tangibly, truly within the fan base's sites and the organization, that we have a championship roster. It's the first time. And this is a good feeling to have. We're 5-2. and two. We have the top defense and off. Uh, we have the top... Um, Offense without Paul George yet. We have a middling defense, which is... Um, it's easy to get caught up in these negative things because the stakes are so high. But at the end of the day, no matter what, even if Paul George wasn't coming back, we'll still be in the hunt. Um, I think people are just nervous. I think it's this nervous excitement. They're like, oh, we, we should be 7-0. Um, you could argue we should be 6-1. Uh, and one. I'm not going to be mad at that. But... No, I, I think people are jacked. I get a little, what's the opposite of rose quick glasses? Shit-stained glasses um, sometimes. The Patrick Patterson starting thing, I think, really just confuses people more than anything. He hasn't actively lost us a game through his performance, which is more you can say for some of the um, starters we've had on our team before. Um, I think people just need to chill. I think the distribution kind of freaks people out, which makes sense-ish, you know, it would be kind of nice to see that short up, but that will get short up when Paul George comes back. I don't know, man. Max Power, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Uh, there are some concerns, but we haven't even seen the team at full strength yet. Everything is going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Let me know if you guys are, if you try, I think some people also are maybe trying to tell themselves that, trying to forget about Paul George. Because we can't, you know, if there's one thing Clippers fans don't want to do, it's get ahead of ourselves. We've seen draft lotteries not turn out how we wanted. We've seen, you know, a lot of things not turn out how we wanted. So part of it might be the self, like, 
okay, like, let's just chill. Uh, everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. I think people are just looking for some things to nitpick right now, as they do with, as all sports fans do about things. But yeah, I think if we just calm down, everything's going to be all good. Max Power, thank you for that. That kind of set me off um, on a good, kind of ends on a good note. Everyone just gets psyched. At some point, PG will be on this team. Words to live by from Max Power. That wraps it up for Solo Chuck Mockler, myself, on this Twitter Tuesday. Thank you so much for sending in questions. If we didn't get to you, send them again next week. Shoot it at them. Maybe we'll converse or something regularly on Twitter. I'm going to try and start doing more streams during away games. Um, so, yeah, thank you for the questions again. To all the new listeners, thanks for hanging out. We're here Monday through Friday. Weekends if something crazy happens. On Wednesday's show, we're going to have a new mm, What You Say Wednesday poll to talk about. Uh, we're going to have a preview of that Clippers-Bucks game where Kawhi play who knows and as always discussing whatever else happens between now and then in Clipperland. i have been positive chuck mockler william the opinion of like will be back tomorrow thank you so much clipper nation have a wonderful rest of your day